Uh, but as I started to plan out 2022, I started to get a bit afraid uh, at looking at all that is to come and all the work uh, to do and all the, you know, the busyness and everything that's going on. And I started to think, how am I going to get it all done? I don't know if you've already started to have those feelings of dread and anxiety. Hopefully you haven't. Hopefully you're living in peace and in rest and abiding with Christ. But instead of us looking ahead for 2022, today what this psalm gets us to do is to look backwards. Rather than looking ahead to all the work that we have to do, this psalm points us backwards to all the works that God has done. And so as we begin here, rather than anxiety or maybe anticipation, whatever you're excited about for 2022, this psalm is going to fill us with confidence and peace about what has already been done. And by looking backwards and studying all of God's great works, we'll be inspired to worship Him. And we'll be prepared to walk forward into 2022 with His great works as our foundation. As we come to this psalm, it's an acrostic poem. So in the Hebrew, other than the first sentence there, it goes through the, the Aleph to the, you know, the end of the Hebrew alphabet. And each little line, each little short line, begins with a new letter of the, of the Hebrew alphabet, which is why it kind of can feel a little bit stilted and stunted as it goes through. But it begins with this line that's, that's not a part of the acrostic, and that sets the theme for this psalm, and then sets the theme for our lives. It's the simple Hebrew word, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that's where this psalm begins, and that's where Psalm 112 begins, that's where our year ought to begin. And it sets the theme across this entire you know, moment of worship for us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. No matter what is going forward, what has happened behind us, we are to praise Him. And so to study this psalm and to look at why we should praise Him, we've got two simple points for us this morning. Point number one, great works. Point number two, great worship. So let's jump in and just and study and see what the Lord has for us in point number one, great works. Let me read verse one again, and you'll see this vow that the psalmist begins with, this vow that he will praise God to the whole heart. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation. He begins by vowing to commit wholehearted worship to God. And wholehearted worship means all of life, all of soul, every faculty of being is, is engaged in this process of ascertaining of who God is. There's no division. There's no sense of like, I'm going to worship God and this, or my heart is here and there. He's vowing, I want to give all I have to the Lord. And it's a fitting vow for us as we begin the year. It's a fitting vow for each and every one of us is to commit. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. No divided allegiance. But it's not just a personal prayer. It's a prayer for the whole church, the whole congregation to sing. I will give thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright in the congregation. And so he's, he's saying, I'm committing to being with God's people. I'm committing to standing in integrity and righteousness with others who are worshipping God together. But why worship? You know, he begins, this is what I'll do. What is causing him, what's inspiring this exuberant praise? Well, he, he begins to outline it in verses 2 to 4, where he describes the greatness of God's words. Let me read them again. Great 
are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Verse 2 summarizes why he is so happy and why we have such cause to praise with our whole heart, because great are the works of the Lord. The particular content that is shaping him is all of God's grace in creation and redemption towards him and toward all of Israel. It's a corporate psalm. All these things that they're talking about are not just in his life and his battles, but actually for all the people of God. And look at how he um, piles up the phrases of how great God's actions are in the world. Great are the works of the Lord, verse 2. Full of splendor and majesty are his works. Verse 4, his wondrous works. As the psalmist looks out on God's world and God's works, his heart is filled with joy. Perhaps he's looking out and seeing the beauty of a flower, the grandeur of a mountain peak, the intricacy of a spider's web, the power of a lion's roar, the coolness of fresh water on parched lips, the warmth of an intimate embrace between a husband and a wife, the cry of a newborn, the taste of honey on the lips, the sound of music in the ear, and the joy and laughter of community. When we stop and think and ponder the world around us, yes, there is great tragedy and destruction and curse. But if we stop and drink it all in and look around, how much greater is the majesty and splendor and wonder of God's work in creation? And God wants us to study that and delight in his work in creation. In verse 4, uh, the psalmist says, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. So God has put on this amazing display outdoors and in his world and in his works and in the scriptures for us to study, to look at, and to fill our souls. The world is in a theater of God's glory. And rather than you know, binging Netflix, yeah, the psalmist is binging God's work in creation and it fills his soul with wholehearted worship. It's good for us. And it's good for our souls. And it's good for our worship to stop, to study, remember, and recount the wondrous works of God in all the facets of life in creation in all the fields of knowledge, in all the books, the poems, the plays, all the fingerprints of God's grace and But the psalmist doesn't just highlight what God has done, he highlights who the worker is. In verse 3, he reminds us that the worker, God, is righteous. And in verse 4, the capstone quality of God, the, the fundamental way that God wants to be known, the fundamental way he's revealed himself, the Lord is gracious and merciful. The God behind all the wondrous works is a God of grace and mercy. Sovereign grace and sovereign mercy. And these words, this theme, the Lord is gracious and merciful, acts as the bridge to the next section of works that the psalmist wants us to recount and look at and study and ponder. 
Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, and the famous words that the Lord revealed to Moses on the Mount of Sinai after he redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so in verses 2 to 4, he's been praising God in general for just how great his works are. And I encourage you to get a pen and paper and, and just write them out and, and study them and look at just one field of the world and study them in general. And you will come away and say, great, the wonders of the works of the Lord. But then verses 5 through 9 recounts specific acts of God's works. Uh, it shows his works described in detail. And he takes us through particular moments in Israel's story that work him up into more praise and worship. So let's just look at them one by one. And though they're not in chronological order, they, they link up with key moments in Israel's history, part of our story, verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Here the psalmist is taking us to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after being set free from Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of people in the middle of the desert with no food and no water. And yet God provided miraculously, as you might remember, with the manna and the quail and the water from the rock. He wasn't going to bring his couple of people out of slavery and then leave them to die in the wilderness. He remembers his covenant forever. And so it caused the psalmist to be filled with joy and wonder. Verse 6, he showed his, his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Now we move out of the wilderness and we move to the conquest of Canaan. You have Joshua, the leader, taking God's people out to the walls of Jericho where the giants live. And instead of them conquering by might and power, they march around once a day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, seven times in the day, and they conquer Canaan, not by their might, but by God's might. They shout, they blow the horn, the walls fall down, and they are given the inheritance of the nation. They walk into a ready-made city. You know, imagine being able to just, you know, you know, with house property prices and everything now, they're going to walk in and be like, I'll have this one, <laughs> and you can have that one, a land for all, a house for all, for free. They, get, they would receive the inheritance of the nations and progressively, bit by bit, conquest of the entire land. And then verse 7 and 8 takes us to the Mount of Sinai, where God delivers his holy and just and perfect law to the people. Verse 7 and 8. The work of his hands are faithful and just. But look at the, the next line. He's actually talking about all his precepts, that's all his laws are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Now the psalmist is taking us to Mount Sinai and hearing all the law, Genesis, uh, all the way through to Deuteronomy. And these words that are accounted for us, and then we can extend that to all scripture, are God's trustworthy precepts. Another reason for us to praise and, and magnify God. Imagine if we did have the Bible. Imagine if we didn't have his wondrous works recounted, and we didn't have the stories, we didn't have the laws. Imagine if we were lawless, lacking in God's revelation, but instead he has established his work and passed it on from generation to generation for us to know and to live by. And then finally, verse 9, the pinnacle of Old Testament history and salvation, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. And this takes us to Egypt. 
where they were in slavery for 400 years under cruel oppression, where potentially they lost sight of the promise that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that they would have a land and a blessing, and that they would be a great number of people. And here they are in slavery, and then God sends Moses, and then through Moses, the people of God are brought out from Pharaoh's arms, through the blood of the Passover lamb, over all the doors, their, their people are spared, they're sent through the Red Sea, they're brought out of slavery, and brought into freedom. You know, this, all throughout the Old Testament, we keep coming back to this moment. This is the great moment of redemption. But they're not merely free. God's people weren't free just for freedom's sake, but they were free for a purpose. Free to worship Him. And so fittingly, verse 9 ends, holy and awesome is His name. And His name represents His whole being and who He is and all that He's done and all that He will do. And so the psalmist ends this section in verse 2 to 9 with more praise and more worship for God's deeds in general and God's deeds in specific detail. Now, all these works relate specifically to Israel. You might be thinking, Good for them, <laughs> those guys and their wilderness wanderings. But they also apply to you and I. Uh, we too are caught up in the story. Their story is actually our story. And it works like this. Because Israel was redeemed from slavery, because they were fed in the wilderness, because they were given the law and gifted the land, the great fulfillment of the covenant could actually take place where the greatest act of redemption, the true and final act, could be inaugurated. The salvation and redemption of sinners like us through the Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of Adam. And this great act of redemption, this ultimate act of redemption of Christ liberating us from slavery to sin on the cross, has filled the new songbooks of the company of the righteous for two millennia. We've been seeing them already this morning. As we join with the psalmist in singing our songs of joy and triumph of the true Passover lamb who was slain on the cross for our sins. As we sing songs about our redemption from sin. As we sing songs of his great works of righteousness. The New Testament that guides us. Where his body becomes food for us like they were fed in the wilderness feeding our souls into everlasting life. And where he overturned Satan's sin and death so that we could have our future inheritance, a land of rest, a land of plenty, a land of milk and honey, the great heavenly host. And so we too are caught up in this story because of what God has done in Israel, and then through that what he's done in Christ, we now are brought into this great act of redemption. In verse 2 and 4, the psalmist is praising God for his works in general. And then he's describing God's great works in detail. The question is, how should we respond to this? And that leads us to point number 2, great worship. So point number 1, great works. Point number 2, great worship. And here's the point of the psalm in a concise sentence. Great works inspires great worship. God's great works inspire our great worship. Not that our worship is great, but it, it should be great in response to the greatness of what he has done. The intended effect of this psalm upon us as a church, and as we begin this new year, is to lead us in exuberant and wholehearted praise. 
in view of all that God has done in creation and in redemption, how can we not join in with the psalmist in shouting aloud, Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Great are the works of the Lord. Full of splendor and majesty are his words. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Those words become our song when we, when we stop and consider all that God has done for us in Christ. But that is not all. The psalmist calls us to worship in song, in thankfulness, and in joy. But our worship is not limited to song and dance, cheering and triumph. Look at verse 10 and how he rounds out the psalm. It begins in verse 1 with praise and it ends in praise, but a different form of praise. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. For the psalmist, worth it, worth it, worth it. Worship is both our praise and our practice. And so to truly worship God is to walk in wisdom, obeying his word and fearing him. You see, the psalmist is saying, you cannot love sin and worship greatly. Worship and wisdom go together. Worship and walking in God's ways go together. And so as we study God's great works, it's meant to inspire us to great worship. But great worship is not just lifting our hands as we sing great songs. It's walking out of this building and living a righteous and holy life because we are set free from Satan, sin, and death. Romans chapter 6 shows us this link of how salvation and grace leads us to worship. It leads us also to leave behind a life of sin. Romans 6 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk newness of life. See how parallel Psalm 111, the great works that God has done, we identify with them. We died with Christ, we were buried in baptism, in our sins, and have risen to new life, just like Christ has risen to new life. So what's our appropriate response? We praise God for the grace, and then we change our lives, and we walk in the wisdom and fear of the Lord. It might seem weird that, wisdom, that fear and joy go together. Look at verse 1, great thanks, praise. In verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've been reading a book recently called Rejoice and Tremble by Michael Reeves, and that's his thesis of the whole book, is how does fear and joy go together? And through reading this book, I've seen that actually all throughout the scriptures, fear and joy are not opposites. They're actually synonyms, two sides of the same coin, that fear and joy go together. We rejoice in God's grace and we tremble before God's grace. We, we are full of wholehearted worship and thankfulness and we quake in how great and awesome is His majesty and His love towards us. Joy and fear for the Bible go together because the fear is the reverence and the, the trembling and the quaking before just how good God is and it leads us to live a life in a response to him. 
So, how are we meant to respond uh, to verses 2 through 9? What's, what does the psalmist call us to do? Great words inspires great worship. And I want to end by just giving us three practical things from this psalm to help us put this into practice in the new year. Three things. Number one, study his great works. Study his great works. The whole intended point of this psalm is that we would think of the great works of God, ponder them, meditate upon them, let our mind drift and wander and explore the world and, and explore his word and see all that he's done. And so may I commend to you 2022 to be a year of study. And verse 2 says that exact thing. Study by all who delight in them. Study and worship go together. Study and holiness go together. Study and righteousness go together. Fuel the fire of your worship by reading through, if you can, the Bible in all its various parts to see more of God's great works. I've been working through my Bible reading plan this year, and although it's been a challenge, but going through all the Bible in a year, you're reminded of all these stories and all these great works and all these acts of faithfulness that you, you might forget. If you just read the Gospels, they're amazing and they can fill your entire life. But I've been reading through Ezra and Nehemiah, through Daniel and Ruth and Esther, and just seeing all of God's wondrous works. And so may I commend you this year to have a plan to study more of God's works, to study more of God's character, to find a way in which you can find out more about who he is and what he has done. So the question to ask yourself is, what is my plan to study God's works in general and in specifics? What is my plan to study His works? Because great works inspire great worship. And if you want to have a life of worship, then study His works. Secondly, this psalm commands us to worship Him wholeheartedly. That means all of life, all of soul, not just segments on a Sunday, or a life group, or etc, etc, but a life of integrity, walking in righteousness and holiness. Worshipping Him in the congregation, like verse 1 says, committing to being with God's people and standing with the upright, standing with those who love the Lord, and singing wholeheartedly. But also worshipping Him privately and personally, songs in your own soul, putting on worship music, uh, reading through the Bible day by day, praying for people, worshiping in prayer. Can I commend to you as well uh, family worship or household worship if you live with other people? Spending time not just worshiping personally, having your own quiet time, but worshiping with others. You don't have to wait till Sunday to, to worship together. But if you have a family, read the Bible, pray together, and sing together. It's that simple. But do it, and that will help your whole life to have this integrity where it's all of life is worship. Worship with friends. Don't make it weird for a prayer or reading the Bible or spiritual conversation to be a part of the barbecue when you're just hanging out. What are you reading? Or what are you enjoying about the Lord lately? How's your soul doing? How can I pray for you? I was with friends last night, actually, who helped plant our other church in Rungo. And, you know, we're just drawing out the end of the night and just he'd ask me, how can I be praying for you? We had a great conversation sharing about prayer points. Make it normal and, and, and natural for... Worship to be wholehearted, all of soul, all of life. And then even, you know, there's some other ways that you can worship the Lord that you might not think of. 
writing music, write a song, compose a poem, do a work of art. There's all these various ways that we can express worthy praise to our worthy God. So, study his great works. That will inspire you to wholehearted worship. And finally, point number three, walk of application number three. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Next week, the whole psalm is going to be dedicated to what it looks like to live righteously. But for today, I just want to ask you, is there any areas of sin in your life that you're neglecting or avoiding that you need to put right? It's going to be impossible for you to worship with a whole heart if you're living with half of it in sin. Is there any area of your life where you're not walking in the fear Lord. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I was tempted by a particular sin, and I came to this verse in my study and realized just how false it would be for me to go and participate in that sin if I was fearing the Lord. And so walking in wisdom means to fear the Lord and to, to think of who He is and how great He is, and to let that lead your heart way in joy to choose righteousness rather than sin. And so if there's any way, any part of your life where you know even now perhaps the Spirit of God is upon your heart convicting you, oh, I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord here, then this psalm is commending us to repent of our sin, deal with it, confess it, and then walk in the joy of wisdom, in the fear of the Lord. And those who practice it, you will have a good understanding. You will live well this year in 2022. So three simple applications that this psalm is called is great works inspire great worship. Therefore, study his great works, have wholehearted worship, and walk in wisdom. And may our new year, 2022, be a year where his praises endures forever and ever and ever. Where the life, where the song of our life is a life of praise, a song of praise to our great God for all his great works. And most of all, for the great work of Jesus Christ, his, his Son, our Saviour, dying for our sins to liberate us from Satan, sin, and death. Let's pray and enjoy God. And we'll sing one final song celebrating his great works. Well, Father, we thank you that you have caused your wondrous works to be remembered. You've written them down, you preach them to trustworthy, and those who live by them gain good understanding. And Lord, I ask that you bless the preaching of your word. Fill our hearts to see your wonders, the splendor and majesty of your word. May it fill us with thanksgiving, and may it, may it lead us to walk in holy and righteous living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.